Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, today is a special day. You want to know why today's a special day? No? Okay. (laughs) Do you want to know why today's a special day? Thank you. Humor me, people, because I will humor you back. Today's a special day because I have a joke. You ready for it? You ready for this joke? I don't think you're ready for it, church. You ready for this joke? All right. Two people got stranded on an island. One of them had no hope that he would ever escape. He looks over to the other person and says, I'm terrified. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm going to miss my family. I'm going to miss my friends. I don't know how we'll ever get back home. The other one looks confidently back at the friend and said, don't worry. I make $100,000 a week. I tithe faithfully to my church. My pastor is going to find me. (laughs) Some of you are like, can I laugh? What does this mean we're talking about today? Hey, we're starting a new series today called Dollars and sense. And our hope over the next four weeks is that we would understand what God says about money. That we would understand his plan for resources that he's given to us. And more importantly, I want you to understand this. Over the next four weeks, our hope is that we would be set freed and be able to leave a legacy for generations to come. Dollars and cents is what we're talking about. And we're talking about specifically money. We're talking about, I heard an oh no. (laughs) I love it. Reason we're talking about money is because money is important. The reason I know that money is important is because Jesus talked a whole lot about money. He had no need for money. He didn't care about money. But yet he talked more about money than most things. More than heaven and hell combined, Jesus talked about money. In fact, there are five times more passages on money than there are about prayer in the Bible. 800 times the Bible talks about money. The only thing Jesus talked more about was the kingdom of God. So money is important. And Jesus communicated this much about money because he knew that our attitude about the money that we have is a clear definement of our values and our character. Jesus knew that money could be a blessing if used properly, but could also be a curse to us. Jesus knew and said that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but yet money can be used to build the kingdom of God. Money can be a tool for selfishness or display of selflessness, depending on how we use it. In fact, most of the parables that Jesus communicated to teach us his people were about stewarding well our time, our talent, and our treasure, because Jesus was carefully concerned that everything that God provided is stewarded well. So we're talking about money today. I know some of us were afraid to talk about money. So here's what I want you to do. To just lighten us up. Turn your neighbor right now. Just tell them, calm down. Calm down, calm down, calm down. Look at them again and say, this is not that. Turn to the other person next. You tell them, this is not that. I've titled today's teaching, this is not 
that as we talk about what God thinks about money. Again, I realize some of us, we don't like to talk about money. We're afraid to talk about money in church. It gets us a little bit anxious because some of us, we've been in some places where churches talk about money a lot. And maybe they make us feel guilty. Maybe you've heard this as I have. If you don't give, we can't keep the doors open, church. If you don't give, we're not going to be able to turn on the ACs. And if you think it's hot here in South Florida, just wait till you go to hell. So give, right? This guilt about giving. Or maybe, maybe you've seen some preachers, some pastors, some churches take the money that is given and spend it on things that, that you're pretty sure God doesn't need. Like, like, why does God need three mansions and two yachts, four Bentleys, and a vacation house in the Maldives? Why does God need all that? Because if you don't give, you have no faith, you don't believe, so you must give, God says. Is that what God said? We're going to talk about this over the next four weeks. We're going to look about uh, what God says about money in our year of stewardship. As we learn to steward all that God has given us, here's what's going to happen that Matthew 25 tells us. If we faithfully work the little or the lot that God has entrusted us with, he will give us greater opportunity to steward more, to point more people to him, to be set free, and to leave a legacy for generations to come. So we're gonna talk about today, and today I wanna start in Malachi chapter three. It's up there on the screens. Go ahead and open your app at home. It's gonna be on your screen. Malachi three, verse six. Here's what the Lord says. God says, I do not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. Because I don't change I'm still gonna love you. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. You have disobeyed me. You have turned your back on me, but I want you to hear the language. I want you to hear the invitation. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Again, listen to his tone. This is an invitation. Return to me and I will return to you. But you say, how shall we return? The, the book of Malachi, it's, it's a series of arguments between God's people and God. And God is saying, this is good. And they're saying, well, we don't like that. And God is saying, this is right. And they say, well, I think that is wrong. God, I don't agree with everything that you are saying. And God's response to that is, I don't change. And this is important for us. If we want to see change, we have to understand that God does not change. In fact, that's the first big idea I want us to get. God doesn't change. So if we want change, we must change. He doesn't have anything to learn. He's not sinful. He is perfect. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if we want to change in our behavior, if we want to change in our thinking, it doesn't happen from God. We need to change. But can I tell you, thank God he doesn't change. Thank God he doesn't change. Thank God he doesn't change the way he feels about us. He says, I love you, and I'm still going to love you. I've forgiven you, and I'm still going to forgive you no matter what you do. doesn't matter what you look like, how you came in today, what you're carrying from last week. Nothing that we do will ever be able to change the way that God thinks about us right now. Thank God he doesn't change, but he wants his people to change. And so he's telling them, here's some areas where you need to change. And they're saying, but we don't want to. And God says this, Malachi 3.8. He says, will a man rob God? 
yet you are robbing me. This idea of being able to rob God, it seems kind of impossible. Like, who can rob God? Uh, when, when Pastor Johnny and Pastor Steve and myself and my wife, we started a church some nine years ago, we didn't have a lot of money. So I bought a lot of things on Craigslist. And I was afraid by buying things from Craigslist that someone would rob me. So I would call up my very big and buff and tatted up friend to come with me to these Craigslist exchanges so that people wouldn't have any like sort of inkling to try to rob me. In fact, the opposite happened. They thought we were trying to rob them. The way he would mean mug them through the car, like, I'm watching you. Like, who can rob God though he knows everything he never sleeps nor slumbers like we talked about last week he sees everything he holds everything in his hands who can rob God but you say how we robbed you here's how God responds in your tithes say tithes your tithes and your contributions where was that oh no some of you are like oh no we're talking about tithing hold on to your wallets church a pastor's gonna get our money this is not that. This is not that. Let's talk about what a tithe is, though, so we can understand. A tithe, it literally means a tenth. To tithe is to give God a tenth back to him from what he's already given to us, because everything belongs to him. We're just stewarding it. And the first time we see anyone giving a tithe is in Genesis chapter 14. We have Abram, who's just defeated the king of Elam, and now he's taken back everything from Sodom that was plundered, and he meets this priest named Melchizedek, who blesses him. Genesis 14, 18, and I want you to hear this. Listen, it says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, meaning the king of peace, brought bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high God. There was no Levitical priesthood up to this point. Could this be a picture of Jesus? And he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. The one who holds everything, who's created, who owns everything. And blessed be God most high who has delivered you. So he owns everything and he wins everything. Who's delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth, a tithe of everything. This is something so important to remember when we talk about tithing. The very first time we see it, it was not given out of grudge. It was not given out of guilt. It was not, oh no, I gotta give back to God. It was given out of gratitude. Because of the victory that God had won for Abram, he generously and freely gave a tithe to God. But, but as history shows us, as the people of God became a nation of people, now they have different things that they need to take care of. One thing specifically was the priest of the temple. 11 of the 12 tribes, they got an inheritance from the promised land of physical property, but the priests, the Levites, they got no inheritance. And so God said, I want you to take care. I want all of my people to be taken care of. And so each of the 11 tribes were to give a tenth of what God had provided them to the Levites so they could be protected, so that they could be satisfied, so they could have what they need. And over time, as the people and the nation got bigger, it started to turn from a tenth to more than a tenth, to more than a tithe. In fact, it became more like taxes to take care of infrastructure, to take care of their military. It's a lot like taxes today. We need resources. Taxes aren't necessarily bad, but there is a problem with taxes, and the problem with taxes is people. And so just like this was like taxes in America today, there was a problem just like there is with taxes in America today. 
God says, here's the problem. He says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me of your tithes and offerings. Malachi 3.9. And you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. I want to stop right there and again let you know this is not that. See, I think some of us in here, maybe you've heard, maybe someone has guilted you into giving by saying you're robbing God. And because you're robbing God, because you're taking from God what is his, what rightfully belongs to him, you are now cursed with a curse. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you feel guilt because of that. And no one wants to be cursed, right? And so one of three things happen when we hear, you're robbing God and you're cursed with a curse. The first thing is we, we can ignore it and not give because it's easier to ignore it than to actually understand what God is trying to teach us. The second thing that can happen is you can give in and give out of compulsion and give out of guilt and not let it come from your heart. Or the third thing that happens to a lot of people is they get angry and they stop coming to a church because no one wants to feel guilted about giving at church. But this is not that. Familia, I love you. And I need you to understand today, and we're gonna talk about this over the next four weeks, that there is a blessing to God's obedience and there are consequences for sin. But this is not that. You are not cursed. I want you to understand this. Write this down. In Jesus, you are not cursed. Because Jesus set us free from the curse of sin, the curse of hell, the curse of death by dying the death that we deserve on the cross and resurrecting and giving us new life and calling us his children and putting his righteousness and his holiness upon us. So we are not cursed. We are set free in Jesus. And who the son sets free is free indeed. Amen? You're not cursed if you don't give a tenth back to God. It's not God can forgive you of your deepest, darkest secrets. But if you don't give a tenth, well, now you're cursed again. That's not how it works. We're set free completely because what Jesus did was final. If you know the song, sing it after me. What can wash away my sin? Unless I don't tithe and then I'm cursed. What can make me whole again? Except if I don't tithe, cause then I am cursed. Cause that's how it works. Is that how it works? No, absolutely not. In light of what Jesus has done, in light of the good news, you are not cursed. You need to understand it. Secondly, the reason I can say that is because when we're trying to understand what God is teaching us through his word, one of the primary things we can do is learn who it was addressed to. Now, um, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share something with you. I'll just share it. Uh, I have sleep apnea, okay? Like, 
I know I probably don't look like it, but I have severe sleep apnea. I like to eat a lot. I carry it up high. It's why I wear jackets and stuff like that because I'm like, I'm trying to cover my shame. And so I have sleep apnea and I don't sleep very well, but, but like my mask was old and it was leaking and it wasn't working. And so I ordered something new. I ordered a new mask on Amazon this week and it was supposed to come the next day because I have Amazon Prime because I don't like leaving my house for little minutia things like groceries. And so I ordered it. It came to my house, but it wasn't there. It said it was delivered. I see that it was delivered on the app, but I get home, I'm like, it's not here. How am I gonna sleep tonight? I'm gonna snore. My wife is gonna get mad. She's gonna kick me out of the bed. I deserve it because why isn't my mask not here? So I call Amazon and they say, oh, no, we delivered. I said, no, you didn't. Yeah, we did. There's proof right here. I said, no, I didn't get it. They said, well, if it's not there by the end of tomorrow, then let us know and we'll send you another. I'm like, I need to sleep tonight. So I slept on the couch because uh, I didn't want to wake my wife up. And, and the next day I get home from church and it's still not there. Like, what's going on? Jessica says, oh, I got it. It was there. One of the neighbors had received it and they brought it over. I'm like, oh, thank God, my neighbors. And so I get the package and it's opened. It was addressed to me. And they open it up. And now there's this fear of like, oh no, I'm gonna be the sleep apnea guy in the block and everyone's gonna make fun of me. I'm like, check the address, people. If it's not addressed to you, don't open it. And it's the same true with God's word. We need to know who it was addressed to, who was cursed. And we can find who it's addressed to right in the beginning of Malachi. Malachi 1.6, it says, God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. Who? Oh, priests who despise my name. But you say, have we despised your name? You need to understand that Malachi was addressed. It was communicated primarily to priests who were under the law. I want you to read it for yourselves. All throughout Malachi, we see God is talking to you, oh, priests. And what do these priests do? They despise the law of God. They said it's old, it's antiquated, it's boring. They brought improper sacrifices to God that were mute, sick, or lame. They brought these things that, 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 that weren't what God had asked for. Bible says that the priests, they were not taking care of the widows and the orphans. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it says that the priests are robbing God by taking of the tithes and the offerings that the people have given to them. It's to the priests. Now, he also says the whole nation of you, and so I, I don't, I don't want to miss this point also. We can't disregard that God was chastising and correcting the people for, for loving him to be their provider, but not surrendering their life and giving what God had asked of them to, to say, I trust you as my provider. They were withholding back part of what God had commanded them to give underneath the law. They were cheating on their taxes and saying, well, I like all the benefits and I like all the handouts that my God gives. But here's what I want you to understand. The priests were responsible. The leaders were responsible. To quote the great theologian Hopper from the book of A Bug's Life. First rule as a leader, everything is your fault. It was the leader's responsibility. 
See, we see this in Nehemiah that was written in the same, around the same time period as Malachi. And we have Nehemiah, who's a leader, who's leading people to do what God asked them to do, to encourage them, to remind them, God is our provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. He supplies everything that we need. And he's providing a place for us. And he's providing shelter and safety. And our part is to contribute and to give our tithes and offerings so we can grow what God is doing here. And he's encouraging them. But then we have some priests who are taking advantage. We have some priests who are taking the tithes and offerings. We have this one guy, specifically Eliashib, who would take what the people had given and sold it for his own personal gain, for what he wanted instead of fulfilling the purposes and the promises of God. And they weren't doing what needed to be done. They weren't using what the people had given for the work of God. And so I think a better interpretation and a more practical application for Malachi chapter 3 is not, you're robbing from God. Church, you thieves, you're cursed with a curse. You don't want to be cursed? Give right now. I don't think that's an accurate interpretation. I think the better interpretation is asking questions to people like me. Church leaders and pastors. And ask, what are you doing with what people are giving? Are you using it for the work of God? Are you using it to take care of the needs of ministry? Are you using it to help feed the hungry and take care of widows and orphans and foster kids? Or are you using it to buy yourself fancy cars and vacation homes and all the things that you want for yourself? I find it interesting that that people who take advantage of the tithes of God's people for their own benefit are the same people that take advantage of this passage for their own benefit. And because the responsibility falls on the leader and because these leaders, they weren't leading people. Like Jesus said, it's better that a millstone is tied around your neck and you're cast into the sea than for you to lead people astray. And so as your pastor, I don't want to lead you astray today. I don't want to lead you astray in the series. This is not that. But what about us today? Are we supposed to tithe today? Are we supposed to give a tenth of what God has given us back to him? And we hear all sorts of sides on this. On one side, we have people who say, you must give. If you don't give, you're robbing God. You're, you're, you're stealing from him. You're cursed. And on the other side, we have people say, we don't have to give anything because that was under the law. and That was the old covenant. That was the old testament. We are in grace right now. We are set free. This is not that. And this is not that. In the Old Testament, they were required by law to give a tenth of what God had given them back for the work of the temple, for the work of the church. And in the New Testament, when we hear about tithing in the New Testament, every single time it's directed towards the Pharisees, the religious leaders. It's, 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 it's when he's talking to those who are leaders and he calls them hypocrites. That literally translates actor you're pretending they tithe on every little thing that they got new iphone i'm gonna tithe for my iphone somehow i don't know 10 percent is gonna be bible reading i'm gonna tithe for my milkshake i'm gonna tithe for my mcdonald's happy they tithe on every little thing that they got but it was all theater it was all the show it was all pretending because it didn't come from their hearts what are we supposed to do how are we supposed to to follow what are we supposed to obey I don't want you to miss the heart of what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us 
throughout this series. So write this down, this is important. Our being, our being matters to God before our doing does. Our being, who we are, who we are to him, matters far more to God than our doing first. See, what happens, especially in churches, is we can become so dogmatic about what we think God wants, that we pretend and we act in a way that we think God wants us to act instead of actually being transformed into the people that he wants us to be. And we focus more on our doing. Am I doing everything right? Am I checking everything off the list instead of being who he's called us to be? So I want you to hear this. God doesn't want 10% of anything in your life. He wants everything. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Think about that. The God who literally gave us everything. Who paid it all. Who set us free. Who's forgiven our sin. Who's filled us with hope. Who's set aside a home for us forever. Who's given us his spirit living inside. Who walks beside us every single day. Perfect God has given us imperfect people all of himself. So to repay him, here's a tenth. Let me calculate what 10% is of my time, my talent, my, and I'm gonna give that back. No, we can't out give God. We, we can't repay him for what he's done. But we respond with surrendering our lives to him. And we understand that. When we understand that this is not that, this is not about a checkoff, this is not about a percentage, this is about our heart, this is about our life. When we understand that, then we can see that giving as a New Testament church is something that comes from the heart. I want you to read it for yourselves. If you go home and you want to find where the Bible talks most clearly about giving as the New Testament church, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And two things that it tells us about how our response should be if we have experienced his love is that our giving should be sacrificial and joyful. Write this down. The first followers of Jesus gave sacrificially and joyfully. Why? Because their heart had been transformed internally. And that's where it all begins. See, if it doesn't start here, if it doesn't happen from here, it's worthless out there. God doesn't want you to give begrudgingly or out of guilt. He wants your heart. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family. And nobody has to force me to spend time with them. Nobody has to force me to love them, to buy them gifts, to care for them, to feed them. Why? Because those that we love become our priority. No one has to guilt me. Do you spend time? Yeah, I do. Because I love my wife. I love my family. And the New Testament church, they understood this. No one forced them to give anything, but they gave sacrificially and joyfully externally because of what had happened by the grace of God in their hearts. I want you to hear some of these examples. Luke 19.8, Zacchaeus, remember him? Little thug, stealing from people, 
criminal, gangster, mafia member, Jesus comes up to him, says, hey, I'm going to your house today. I love you, Zacchaeus. Let's go. And he spends time. And we don't know what Jesus and him talk about, but we know at the end of it, he felt so loved in that moment. He said this, Luke 19, 8. Zacchaeus stood and said, behold, Lord, master, king, savior, the half of my goods I give to the poor. That wasn't a tie. That wasn't 10%. That was 50%. How how does that happen? Acts 2, 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they had sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. They came together. They had a yard sale. And they didn't use it to buy themselves a new car. They didn't use it to, to, to go on a family vacation. They give it to, to people around them that they didn't even know. How is that possible? Acts 4.34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet so that the work of ministry could be done. How do you sell your house to help people that probably don't even care about you? 2 Corinthians 8.1. I love this. And we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Listen to this church. For in a severe test of affliction, it was a difficult situation. It was, it was a troubling circumstance. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They didn't have anything to give and they had no reason to celebrate. But in their overabundance of joy and in their lack of not having enough, They gave generously on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accords. Because they had been set free, not from the the empire, but from Satan and sin. They didn't feel the guilt to say, I I, I gotta give. Uh, The apostles are telling us we gotta give. Everyone's looking. No, no, they felt the freedom to say, I get to give. I get to give so that people can experience this freedom that I have. I get to give over what God has given me, whether that's a little or a lot, because I have everything that I need in him. I get to be part of this movement that's transforming lives. I get to see forever people's eternity transformed. Joyful grace and sacrificial generosity was the way of the first century church. And it was a whole lot more than a tithe. Let me say that again. The way that the followers of Jesus gave of their lives, their time, their town, and treasure was far more than 10%. Now, the reason I say that is not a clever ploy to say, oh, okay, we don't have to tithe. We got to give more than that. I see what he's trying to do. He's trying to guilt us into giving. No, this is not that. The reason I want you to know that they were sacrificial and joyful in their generosity is because of this. The way of sacrificial and joyful living won't begin to make sense until you really know the way. This way of of giving of all of who you are to God and for his mission will not make sense to you. You're not tithing right now. Forget gender. It's not, none of this is gonna make sense to you until you really know the way. 
The followers of Jesus in the first century, they were known as people of the way. And this came from Jesus' declaration of him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone can come to me and meet the Father. And the way that these people of the way lived was in the way of Jesus, the way that they loved and served and cared for. And the people in the community surrounding them who were benefactors of the people of the way, they got to experience for themselves love, help, hope, familia, and faith. They became blessed by these people of the way. And this is that. This is what all this is about. This is who we are. This is who we've always been as a church. And this is who we will always be because of everything that Jesus has done for us. All that he's done is more than enough. It's forever enough. It's always enough. He has made a way for us to be called sons and daughters of God forever. He's provided a pathway and a bridge so that we can be in relationship with God who loves us as we are and will transform us into who he's created us to be. It's more than enough. And today you can surrender. You can surrender your life to this God who loves you. You can experience provision on every level of your life, physically, mentally, spiritually because of what he's done and how much he loves. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, I understood completely how much I had been blessed. And so I began to give, not because I had to, because I I got to. I get to be a part of this. I get to share this love that has set me free and I want everyone to know. And so I I love that I get to be part of a church family that that helps people within these walls and without these walls who who doesn't just sing songs and, and, and build buildings, but loves and serves as people of the way of Jesus. I get to be a part of this. And I want you to know and I want you to hear this. This... It's not that. If you don't give to God, it doesn't change how he feels about you. It doesn't change his love for you. And if you don't give back to God through the church, it doesn't change what God is going to do in this place because he's our provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. He supplies every single one of our needs. And we've gotten to experience this as a church familia. As our worship team comes out and begins to to close us in service today and point our eyes back to Jesus, I just want to encourage you. I mean, you, you guys know this. You guys are so generous with your time, your talent, your treasure. You're so generous in the way that you serve and give and lead. If you recall, March of last year, COVID affected everything. Every church went online only. And one thing you you may or may not know is that giving tanked. The first several weeks, the first six weeks after everything closed down in our country, giving was less than half. 
And I love our leadership team here. And I want you to be grateful for for the leaders that God has set up in this church and for our overseers, our board of directors, who in a time where people were furloughing and letting go, we came together and we said, we cannot. In fact, we have to do something. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are hungry. And this is why the church was created. And so our board... Our board approved us to take 10% of our savings that we had been using to to build something for the next generation to help feed our community. I wanna let you know, Church Familia, over the course of last year, we gave more than a tithe from the church and we were able to feed tens of thousands of people. We were able to pray with tens of thousands of people. Some of you, you're here today because a group of people of the way of Jesus loved you and fed you, didn't care who you were or what your situation was. And I want you to hear this. This is what the series is about. Two things that we're gonna continue to talk about. Because of the posture of our heart towards him and because we are prepared financially, I wanna say those two things again. This is what we're gonna be talking about over the next several weeks. Because of the posture of our heart toward him, and I know our posture, I know our heart is God, we wanna follow you, we wanna serve you, whatever you ask, we wanna do, but also because of the position we are in financially. Because we had saved to build for the next generation. We had money and savings. Some of us, a lot of us don't have savings. And because we were in a position financially, we were able to love and serve and point people to Jesus like never before. And God gave us greater opportunities. What would happen if all of us learned what God said about money, stewarded well? I'll tell you what would happen. We'd be set free. We'd be set free and we'd be able to be in a position to leave a legacy for generations to come. This is that. So as we end today, there's two things I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. What's God teaching me? What I want to do about it? Two things I want to challenge you. First one is this. Continue to come. All you who are watching online, I hope you're still there. Continue to come. Watch next week. This is not that. I had to get the barrier out of the way from the beginning so that you don't think over the next four weeks the church is trying to take our money. No, no. This is not that. God wants to set us free. God wants to use us in ways that we can't even imagine. So I would encourage you to continue to come all four weeks. Second thing is this. If your dollars don't make sense, if you are in over your head in debt, if you've never even considered what it means to bless your children, to leave a legacy for them and even their children's children, I would encourage you to sign up and to commit to coming on Wednesday nights to Financial Peace University. Here's why. Because the overwhelming majority of Americans are in debt and have zero plan of how they're going to get out of it. In fact, 24% of what the average American spends every single month is on consumer debt. 24% of what we bring in goes back paying people that we borrowed from. But here's what happens in Financial Peace University. Over the course of the many weeks, it's 20% teaching, but 80% action. And 90 days after Financial Peace University concludes, the average person 
who goes through Financial Peace University, pays off $5,300 in debt within 90 days and saves $2,700. In fact, 89% of people, while they're in Financial Peace University, they set up an emergency fund of $1,000. Some of you are like, I've never been able to save $1,000. I'm telling you, it's gonna help you. And 94% of people who graduate from Financial Peace University, 94% have a better perspective of their legacy and their ability to be a blessing. That's what this is about. I'm excited for what God's gonna do. And I'm believing that as we learn to steward what God has given us, that the best is still before us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.